0: How to raise kids without raising your blood pressure. Is that possible? So let's uh, tackle that subject today. Somebody's already weighed in. No, it's not possible. And um, I would tend to agree with you to to a certain point. So uh, if you have your Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 15. And as you're turning there, as you know, uh, by far one of the hardest jobs you can have in life is to be a parent. Ironically, it's one of the easiest jobs you can get. Like uh, there's no uh, application process. There's no um, prior training. You don't have to have experience. It's just like, oops, uh, we got a baby coming on the way. Uh, the, this is different from other areas of life. Like when I when I learned how to drive a car, I had to take classes in school. I had a manual to go by. I had to take, you know, I get in a car with a. a, a an adult driver and spend so much time getting used to the driving in the car, and then you have to go to the BMV and take your driver's test before you get your driver's license. With kids, we like ain't got nothing, right? You just get them, and there's no owner's manual. There's no instruction book, and you take them home. And I'm thinking if I were God, good thing I'm not, but if I were God, I would think I would have treated parenting like a college course, like, you know the uh, 101 level and 201, 301, 401. And so what we would do is give you loner kids and you go through 101. And if you pass that course, you get to graduate to 201, 301. And if you pass all four of those classes with the loner kids, then we would give you your own. Okay. So other than that, you know, but that's just not the way it works. We we end up becoming parents, and we are so, abs- I mean, we're just enamored with our kids, and we're thrilled, and we just love the fact that we have become parents. But at some point in our lives, we ask the ultimate question, Honey, why is that We Wanted Kids again? I, I don't remember exactly why we were doing this. Um, so children, uh, children are, are a gift from God. The Bible is very clear about that, and some of the greatest moments in your life come as being a parent, and just uh, I, I love videos like this, or just li- listening to your children laugh and and play, and the, the, and the you know there's just their unique personalities and the faces they make and the yeah you know, um, just mannerisms that they have, and but it's also one of the most difficult jobs because there is a lot that goes with parenting, and I I soon discovered what every parent discovers that babies come to us. I'm telling you as little sinners. They're little sinners. And from the moment they come out of that womb, it's wah, 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 right? So they don't care if you've been up all night. It it doesn't matter. They're demanding. They want what they want. And I used to hear people say, well, why did you have children? Well, you know, I just wanted something to love. And that's true. You love your children instantly. It's amazing how that happens, whether you're a parent or grandparent. But then there are times when it's like, oh. One more word out of you, and I'm taking you out of this world. I was just like, oh, you know, so parenting. You know, when I was uh, in seminary in my final year, and I'm, we're, I'm getting towards the end of my, towards my graduation. And now I'm, you know, writing all my papers. I'm studying for all my, my exams. Stacy comes along, and she's born, and she is born with colic. And so for three months, she just, like, cries night and day. We, we try to do everything we can and just cry, 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 cry. And, you know, every so often she'll give us a break. And, and so I, I could tell when Marla was getting so aggravated, it's like, oh, you better take this child from me. And so I would. And so I'm trying to work, study. And, and so we went through this for three months. And, you know, you've been thinking, like, oh, why, why did we have this child? I, I mean, the, um, wow. Wow. Um, the sentimental romanticized notion of having a family reach the end by the first jumbo pack uh, pack of uh, t- pampers. I mean, it was like, oh, so I remember when the first time Stacy slept through the night, uh, I panicked, right? I'm in my office, which was right next to our bedroom. The bassinet's right next to the bed, and she's sleeping, and finally Marla's getting some sleep, and I, and I, it's like, like one or two in the morning, and I realize she's not crying and I, I walk in there and I'm, I open up the door just to crack, just enough light to come into the room and I, start, I look, lean over the bassinet and I'm looking at Stacy and I'm thinking, is she breathing? Is she, I, don't, I don't think she's breathing. I, and so I start poking. <laughs> and my wife raised up and she said, if you wake up that child, I will kill you. I will kill you. So, you know, it doesn't get much better. As they grow up, you have new experiences. So when Stacy was in, um, let's see, she would have been either second or first, first or second grade. I think it was first grade, and Marissa was just still in preschool, about to go into kindergarten. We took them to Disney, right? We had that whole experience, so we went with some other members of our church, and we drove from Elyria, So I don't know, 20 hours or whatever to Disney. You know, bought the whole package. It was expensive. And, and so we get there, and it's in July. It's hot. I mean, really hot. And so, you know, we stayed on the Disney complex. And, and all my kids wanted to do was swim in the pool. They didn't care about anything else because, oh, Dad, it's too hot. And, and oh, we just want to swim in the pool. And so I, I wish that was one of my finer moments as a father, but it was not because now, you know, I'm just like getting agitated with him. And I'm thinking, you know, and Stacy had a doll. She was called Big Dolly, and Big Dolly was this big, fluffy doll. And so then she would start, like, talking to me through Big Dolly, like, Big Dolly wants to go to the pool. Big Dolly said, I'm going to kill Big Dolly because we did not spend all this money to come all this way so you guys could swim in a pool. I could have stayed home and done that. So, we took them into the park at night and it worked out. So, there are great reasons to have kids, and uh, there are some reasons that are probably not so great. But one of the things we know, and I want to give us a different perspective on parenting today. I'm not going to talk to you about, oh, here's how to raise your kids and these are all the things you need to do. I want you to see parenting from a whole new perspective, from the perspective of what God sees it as. Uh, Yes, children are a gift from God, but maybe it's not the kind of gift you thought it was. You see, what God wants to do with our children is, yes, they are a gift for us to raise, to steward well, but they are also tools in the hands of God to form and to fashion our lives as parents into the image of Jesus. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but God uses a variety of things to conform us to the image of Christ, because the Bible says in Romans 8, this is his will, and one of the things that he uses is our children. And we never see it from that perspective, but when we begin to look at it from that perspective, we begin to understand that parenting isn't about us, it's really about, it's about him. It's about the Lord and what he wants to do in us through parenting, Nothing brings to the surface quicker our deficiencies and where we are unchrist like more than marriage and more than parenting. Because children learn very quickly how to push your buttons and how to push you to the limit. And so family life can cut us. It can disappoint us. It can wound us. It can frustrate us. But yet it can be some of the greatest moments in your life. So if we look at it from a proper perspective, we begin to see our children in a different light, and hopefully you begin to see what God is doing in you and through you, even through the times that they are messing their diapers and throwing up on you, and and God is using all of these things, their tantrums, the teenager's silence, in order to transform us into the image of Christ. So on the top of your outline, there is a verse, this is not, if you look at the verse in its context, it's not about parenting, but I want to draw something out about this because I think it does apply to parenting. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And so Paul says, focus on purifying yourself, not your children. Focus as a parent on purifying yourself out of reverence for the Lord. And by the way, one of the ways that God's gonna do that, he's gonna use your kids to help you in that process, whether you realize it or not. It's kinda like when you get on an airplane and uh, the stewardess is uh, saying, hey, here's, uh, here are all of the uh, safety precautions. And if the masks drop out of your overhead bin, do not panic, right? So nobody's going to panic because their masks have dropped down. And so what do they tell you? If you have children with you, place your mask on yourself first And then place it upon your child. Why? Because your child is going to need your help and they need you in the right frame of mind, right? They need you thinking clearly. They need you acting efficiently. And so if you are oxygen deprived, you're not gonna think clearly. You're not gonna act efficiently. So you put the mask on yourself and then you put it on your child. And what is true physically is also true in the spiritual realm. If you wanna help your children... You first help them by helping yourself. God understands that if the more that he conforms me into the image of Jesus, the more Jesus my children experience as they're growing up. And so he uses them as a tool and a means by which he can begin carving away from my life everything that is unchristlike or everything in my life that needs to be shed in order for me to grow and to mature as I am becoming a parent and as I am empathizing and encouraging and comforting my children as they are growing up. And so parenting will lead us to confront spiritual sins as though, even though we may not have seen that they existed. Notice what Paul says, it is the perfecting of of holiness out of what? Out of reverence for God. God. And so what I'm simply saying is this is that your own spiritual quest should be the driving force of your parenting. Let your children be used of God to begin molding and fashioning you into the image of Christ because if you start that early by the time they reach those teenage years you're far more equipped for that because otherwise I, I heard a story about Peter who, uh, this is a legend, it's not necessarily true, but Peter was walking along and saw someone who needed a healing. He prayed over them, they were healed. He was, he was walking along another area and there was a, a demoniac that came out, much like what happened with Jesus. And he he you know he cast out the demon and he was walking along and somebody needed some food and he was able to like Jesus he he prayed over something produced food and then he was walking a, along a, a a river and saw a father who was just on his knees and just just crying profusely and and Peter walks up with all the compassion he could muster and says my friend what is it that you need what what is your what, what is wrong and he says i have Three teenage daughters, and Peter just like got down and wept with him. that 's all he could do. He just like, there's nothing else I can do for you. You know our our daughter went wayward for a period of time, and I can tell you um, that God used um, those years of departure as a means by which he crafted within my wife and I, probably one of the most profound three years of prayer that we've ever been through because sometimes there are things that you must battle and the battle is on your knees and you better grab the word of God and prayer and you go to battle for them on their behalf because the more you try to reach out to them, the more you try to push them, the more you try to draw them in, the more they push you away. And so sometimes the battles have to be fought on our knees. And isn't that like Jesus? Did he not fight his battles on his knees constantly? He was in prayer in the morning, in the afternoon, sometimes all night long because he was battling for us. Remember, God is our father. He is our parent, and much of what God does for us and what he has to deal with when he's dealing with us, we now in turn deal with our. Our children and so Christian parenting invites us to purify ourselves and to use the process of raising children to perfect our our holiness because sometimes what you need as a parent is right in front of you but you don't see it you know, um, about th- two years ago um, my wife and I and we had all of our, our kids and grandkids we rented a cabin in Boone North Carolina and uh, so Silas was was really young and so he's only a year old, and so we did a lot of babysitting while you know the rest of them went out and did things and so Silas um, had a poop explosion. Now you all know what that is, right and so I mean I, so like I've got him like what do I do with this kid because I'm in a house I'm unfamiliar with, and there's this like this beautiful rug that's on the on the on the floor and and like I lay him down, and I didn't realize how bad it was until i tore open the diaper and like, oh, hoo-hoo. so what I did like any husband would do. I called for my wife, honey, you got to come. I'm, I, this is like all over the place. And, and Marla runs in and she says, get get the baby wipes, get the baby I can't find the baby wipes. I I tear through the house. I go into their bedrooms. I tear through their luggage. I'm looking for baby wipes, baby wipes. And finally, you know, we just have to grab paper towels and uh, kind of wet them. And, and, you know, now it's getting on the carpet. We've got to clean the carpet and it's getting all over him. And I mean, he's covered from head to toe. And I look up and after this is all over and we've cleaned up the entire mess right there on the table in front of us were the baby wipes. Sometimes things are right in front of you, but you don't see it, and sometimes what God does through our parenting is that he uses our children to bring up things right in front of us that we did not necessarily see before that God wants to do in our lives and our hearts. So let me give you five of them, and this certainly is not exhaustive, but it is based upon this parable that Jesus gave about the parable of the lost son. Beginning in verse 11, chapter 15 of Luke, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my inheritance, my share of the inheritance, the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and they began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. you got to be pretty hungry, okay? Um, in my church in Alabama, I had a, a pig farmer, and I helped from time to time slop those pigs. And I want to tell you what, you got to be really hungry. You want to eat what they're eating. I'm, I'm just saying. And so he says, but, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. And But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. And he was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now the older brother was thrilled about that, right? No, the other brother, he's angry, man. He's, he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered his property, your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. So what are the things that our children will teach us as God's forming and fashioning us in the image of Jesus? Number 1 is this, our children will teach us to value character and service over comfort. Character and service over comfort. When I first read this story, the question was well since the, you know, this in this parable obviously people represent certain individuals, right? So this father obviously represents God the father. Uh, the, this young son is representative of us. And so, yeah, so God knows everything, right? There's nothing you can do that escapes his knowledge. So since the father knew beforehand, the son comes to him and says, and by the way, he's the younger son, which means he would receive a third of the inheritance, the older brother, the two thirds. And when he says to his father, Give me my share of the estate. Typically, the estate would not be divvied up until the father had died. So in his essence, really in a rebellious manner, saying to his father, you know, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, how about giving me what is rightfully mine before you die? I'm out of here. And you can imagine how it tore the heart of the father and the father knowing that, you know, this is not going to end well. It's just not going to end well. And so it doesn't, right? He takes his estate. He squanders it. I mean, he's got all kinds of friends and buddies. Why well, he's got all kinds of money, and there's partying going on, and prostitutes are involved. And he spends it all, and he's like, now he's destitute. No friends, no money, no job. And finally, you know, someone has pity on him and brings him to the pig farm and says, hey, you can, you can work for me. My question is, knowing all this, why did the father let him go? Why did he give him the inheritance? Knowing that he was young and stupid, uh, why would he give him what he knew he was probably going to blow right through this and not in a healthy, in a healthy way? Because he understood that in order to develop character and service, you have to let your children make their own mistakes. I've been in a webinar um, this past week with Dr. Henry Cloud and. Dr. Cloud is a, a, a psychologist, and and if you read anything he writes, because he's profound. And um, this is one of the emphasis that he makes, because he built this his his uh, approach to helping people uh, with their problems and situations with a, a four-pronged approach. And he came to this four-pronged approach because he himself became so depressed with life and all that was happening to him in college. That literally, he was laying in his dorm room, not knowing what to do, where to go, where to turn. He looked up, he saw a Bible, he grabbed the Bible, and for the next two years, he just immersed himself in Scripture. And through that immersion, he found everything we need to help us in our brokenness. Everything we need. Notice what the father said about the son. He was lost, but now he's found. Do you know what the word lost means in the Bible? It means broken beyond repair. We're broken beyond repair until God gets involved in the repair process. And so Henry Cloud says, you know what? I discovered in those two years that everything we need to begin the healing process of our brokenness is found in the word of God. And so as parents, we often pray, Lord, allow me to feel the pain so that it will spare my son or daughter. I understand that, that we want to save our children from discomfort and we want to shield them from as much, much pain in life as we possibly can, but it's not a wise decision always. You and I grow the, the most growthful times in our lives in becoming conformed to the image of Christ happens through the most painful experiences of our lives. We cannot keep our children. We can't guard them. We can't protect them. We can't bubble wrap them enough to guard them from all the pain that life is going to bring, nor should we. We should not bail them out every time they need bailed out. You have to have wisdom here. There are times that I've intervened into the lives of my children. I've helped them out. But I try to do it from a point of the standard of wisdom, not just scooping in so that they never feel any kind of pain in their lives because God is our Father. He doesn't choose to give us a life of comfort all the time he allows us to experience the painful um, process of life because he knows he's going to use that. If you don't believe me, look in First Peter chapter 1 where he says he's putting you in the refiner's fire because it's, it, that's how he, he begins bringing to the surface the, the dross, the stuff that needs to be skimmed off your life so that there's more of a pure reflection of Jesus. I mean, we do this in school now. I mean, they did away with dodgeball for crying out loud. I just want you to know in Vacation Bible School, Terry introduced dodgeball. Why did they take dodgeball out of, the, out of the schools? Because they didn't want your kid getting hit. They thought it was, you know, too aggressive. And, you know, somebody was winging a ball at them and, and trying to take out their aggression. And there were winners and losers. And if you get hit, you're out. And it might damage the child's self-esteem. And you, you're venting your aggression. I love dodgeball. And in elementary school and here's why because whenever I had to deal with some testosterone freak of nature who shaved in the third grade I knew that I could walk up with my wimpy little arm and throw a dodgeball catch him by surprise upside the head and he was out right or he'd take his best shot at me and throw it as hard as he could and I'd catch it and he's out People also had problems with musical chairs because, you know, you might potentially destroy the self-esteem of my child. They don't get the, the last chair. And now I guess the rules and tag, instead of telling somebody you're it, you can't tell them they're it because it isn't cool. You have to tell them they're special. you are special. You need to hunt everybody. Sad truth is these games don't hurt our kids nearly as much as they hurt us as parents. Nobody likes to see their child not make the team. Nobody likes to see their child get out or strike out. And oftentimes I played baseball for several years and, and um, parents would come out of the stands arguing with umpires and just absolutely making a, a, a spectacle of themselves because they didn't like the call of the umpire. You know, third strike, you're out. No, it wasn't a strike. You know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we we are like... You know, we're like in elementary school, chill out here. You know, we're not, we're not in the major leagues here and we're not making money at this. You know? And so I, I literally, I saw parents fight in the stands during our games over baseball, None of us like to watch our children suffer at times. I know that even when my children were small and they're trying to you know, put their first puzzle together, what do you want to do as a parent? You want to jump in. You want to help. You want to do it for them. You, you, want, you don't want them to fail at the process. I get that. I understand that. But I'm just simply saying, and what God would say to us is, listen, If you, you need to value character and service over comfort because it's through It's through the painful events of life that they learn character, that character is developed, that that serving others, that core of that is developed. According to Dr. Melody Rode, a marriage and family therapist, she has found that children raised under the coddling philosophy of our day and time that avoids adversity and pain at all costs are likely to raise children who become addicts, obese, dependent, suicidal, incapable, and frequently overwhelmed by life. She goes on to point out that the growing pains beyond aching knees to aching hearts and disappointments are essential experiences on the path towards, way towards maturity. If we protect our children, she said, from all risk, all challenge, and possible rejection, they will likely become developmentally stunted and therefore will remain immature. This is the process by which God grows us. It's the process by which we... We see our children grow because as much as it pains us to watch them go through that process. There was a high priest in the Old Testament named Eli. Eli had two sons and one of the things that points out about Eli is that Eli put his sons in a bubble wrap. He didn't want them to experience any discomfort. He didn't want to challenge them in any way or make their life, you know. I I hear many parents go, well, I just don't want my kids to have to work as hard as I did. And I don't want them to have to, you know, experience things like I did. And well, why? Because it's not bad for them, I'm telling you. But Eli, I mean, these kids, they, they, they were raised in luxury. He protected them from everything. And when they became adults, you know what they started doing? They started taking advantage of everything. And they started, you know, um, they, they chose to have uh, sexual relations with the prostitutes and, and all kinds of things. I mean, all hell broke loose in their family. But the Bible says Eli would not do a thing about it. So you know what God did? He said to Eli, if you're not going to do anything about it, I will. And he stepped in and he took him out. Now, I'm not here to say that God's going to take out your kids because we're New Testament. We're not Old Testament. But I'm simply saying is what God would say to us over and over in scripture is one of the ways that we parent is we have to remember if our kids are are never hurt, if they never sin, if they're only sick, if they never fail, they only got cheated by an unfair coach or teacher or principal or so on, they will never have a sense of a need for a savior. But what they will grow up as learn is, you know, Adam's philosophy as just find somebody to blame, some find some way to justify. We grow and mature in character by the painful events we experience in life, and our children will experience many of those. Yes, you want to comfort them. Yes, you want to console them. You want to encourage them. You want to help them as much as you can, but you, you have not been called as a parent to shield them from all painful events. Number one, you can't, and number two, it's not healthy. You have to let them grow through the bumps of life. Consider our heavenly father. Consider how he sent his son into the world and he had to sit back and view his son being abused, beaten, flogged, crucified, spit upon, cursed, all of those things. And then the father had to sit in heaven and hear Jesus say, my father, why have you forsaken me? and God didn't respond. He didn't bail him out. He didn't take him off the cross. And at the end of it all, Jesus said, into your hands, I I commend my spirit. Please understand, we have a heavenly Father who loves us incredibly, but love made room for his son's suffering. And if God allowed his son to suffer, and he is our model as a parent, we can expect at times we are going to have to watch the same thing in the hearts and the lives of our children. Bottom line is this, pain purifies, is what the Bible teaches. Because every single child, every single one of us were born with the innate desire to be our own God, to call our own shots to determine what's right and wrong, what's just and fair, to use God's creation for our own selfish purposes. And God is constantly trying to weed this out of our hearts. And one of the ways he does that is through painful experiences. So bottom line is I need to allow my kids to face challenges, failure, rejection, and pain, and teach them how these seemingly negative events can fuel their sense of character and mission and foster their dependence upon the God who created them. Number two, our children teach us patience and perseverance. You'll notice that after the son had squandered everything that he had, it says that he came to his senses and God allowed him to, to feel the weight and the pain of his decisions. He didn't run out there and bail him out. He allowed him to feel it to the nth degree until what? Until the son came to his own senses. And then he says, you know what? Why am I out here with the pigs, you know, longing for their food? Why don't I go back to my father's house? Man, I had it nice there. And I'll just say, God, you know, Father, I'm sorry for what I've done. I know I don't deserve to be your son. Just make me like a hired hand. That would be better than what I'm experiencing in the here and now. And the Bible says that as the son was coming, while he was a long way off, the father Saw the sun on the horizon and he ran to him. And he lavished kisses and hugs. And this man put the ring on his finger, the sandals, the, the robe. My son who was lost is now found. And I mean, he just like, the, just God's love and grace. The father didn't respond with anger and resentment, but he responded with love and, and grace. And the story teaches us that a child, watch this, a child can be raised by godly parents and you do the best that you can do, but it doesn't mean they're always going to choose wisely on how they're going to live. I want to offload the guilt on you uh, in that, listen, you, you can be the most godly parents ever, you can teach them everything right, but every single person has a free will and that child will ultimately choose for themselves whether or not they're going to follow the Lord or not, or follow you as a parent and what you've taught them and you've instilled in them or not, I know Proverbs twenty-two six says, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it." That is a truism. That is not a promise. Hopefully, that what you've trained them with will, will stick with them, and even if they go off in, in rebellion, that their hearts will not re, will remember what you taught them, what you instilled in them, and and the Lord will use the Holy Spirit to bring them back. In the Old Testament, God gives us accounts of children who do all sorts of heinous acts, but had very godly parents. Uh, Abimelech, the son of Gideon, provides such an example. Remember, Gideon was one of the judges, and at the end of his uh, conquest over the Midianites, the people wanted to make him a king, and he said, no, I'm I'm not going to be king, and so Gideon, he retires, and from his, you know, after his post-military life, and he just kind of, you know, he has a lot of children, and after his death, one of his sons, Abimelech, burned with ambition to rule the nation. So in desperate um, desire to get rid of his contenders, he killed all of his brothers except one. And in the scripture, the providential judgment of God, Abimelech, died when a woman dropped a millstone on his head. In other words, the Bible, the Bible says that God was really behind that attack. I I know far too many godly parents who who live in a gaping wound, not just because maybe your your child's rebelled or is in rebellion and and you 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 your heart goes out. I understand that. We we've been through that. Remember this: Adam and Eve were raised in the garden by God, in perfect environment, yet they chose to rebel. Jesus loved Judas as a son, but Judas chose to betray and to rebel. I'm just here to say that you can, you can give your children the most godly start. You can raise them in church, but that does not guarantee that they will continue to walk after the Lord. You have to have patience, and you're going to have to have perseverance in those times in your life when you want more than anything else. As a parent or as a grandparent, you long for them to come back to the Lord. You long for them to serve the Lord once again. And more often than not, uh, our children may not become wayward, but many godly parents live with children who are sickly, who have mental disabilities, who have um, you have a challenged child right a difficult child a, a child who's extremely moody and who wears you down and every day it's like a grind and you're plotting you're plotting and uh, maybe you have a child that's autistic and may, like my cousin they they had their first child um, vaccinated and it triggered something in cody and now every week for for the last 30 years he has no less than 15 seizures a week and and so he will forever be with his parents but i've watched i've watched his experience and their experience with Cody, how it has so transformed my cousin and his wife's life. They're some of the most generous, patient, kind people that I think I've ever met because God used Cody to begin breaking away the things that were unlike Jesus. And I and I my heart goes out to parents that have such, you know, children that are maybe, again, difficult children, or they're just circumstances and you throw into that equation, uh, sibling jealousy, you know, as your family grows and there's sibling jealousy and like the prodigal brother, man, he was all ramped up at the father for throwing a party for his son. And I'm thinking the father's thinking, but you know, you've been here. Everything I have is yours. Just give me this one moment. Your son, I mean, your brother was gone and he was lost and man, he's been found and he's back and he's in, he's in our home again. And let me have this moment to celebrate with him. Some of you, it's the job of multitasking and trials that seem to come in bundles. And honestly, you haven't ever. Maybe you've ever you've thought to yourself, "If if I'm with this child, ten more seconds, man. I'm telling you, I'm taking him out." And so you need healing, and you need relief, and you need comfort, but. But that's not always what the scripture teaches us to pray for. Colossians 1:11 says, "being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and joy." Paul prayed that the believers in Colossae would grow in maturity, and if you think about it, how do we grow in endurance? How do we grow in patience? We grow in endurance and in patience when we are sorely tried and past the breaking point. Then all of a sudden we learn to rest in God's might. You know, the only way you can build muscle, like if you want to build your biceps, you can't do it just doing one pound weights for the rest of your life. You have to tax your muscles beyond what it's able to bear. Lifting weights, growing muscle Is you're breaking down the muscle That's why you get up the next day And you're so sore you can't get out of bed You're breaking down the muscle It's repairing itself, it is growing It's getting stronger, it's getting better And that's exactly what parenting is like Is that you may have a difficult child You may have a wayward child You may have a a child that is really just I mean just stretching you to the ultimate limit And you're like I'm going to go crazy If something doesn't break Listen, if God gives us situations Situations we already have the strength to handle, then we won't have to grow in order to deal with them. But when God pushes us beyond our human limitations, it's when we learn how to grow and trust in the Lord and walk with him in deeper and deeper ways and more profound ways. Because I'm assure you, whatever you're facing in life right now is probably not the greatest thing you're going to face in the future. And God is in the process of preparing you for that. And so the crux of the issue is our first and natural inclination in any trials to pray for God to what? To remove the difficulty. Well, here's what Paul said in Romans 5. But we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Listen, without difficult children, we might take this patience and mercy and forgiveness for granted. That's where difficult children become a... Watch this. We don't view it this. They become a rare gift, a tool in God's hands to stretch us and to mold us and to shape us into a greater and deeper and more profound faith. As we impact the lives of our children, our grandchildren, and the lives of those around us. Number three, uh, our children teach us how to deal with guilt. Did you ever think that the father thought to himself, I wonder what I did wrong? Why did my son rebel? What did I do wrong? Did I not spend enough time? Did I not share, you know, um, uh, enough time? Did I, did I not love him enough? Did I, did I love my, his older brother more than him? And, you know, that's kind of a sibling rivalry that goes on in families anyways, you know, oh, you know, mom, dad love you more than they love me. And, uh, you know, we kind of banter back and forth. I've, I've shared that before with my sisters and they said that my mamas, you know, love me more than them. And, And so uh, I I just wonder um, if if the father thought, you know, is there some predisposition I handed down to my son that I was not aware of? I mean, we know that happens, that predispositions towards addiction and depression and a lot of different things can be handed down from family to family, um, generation to generation. Parenting is a complex game, infinitely more difficult than chess, and yet um, parenting demands skills that I don't possess, and probably maybe you don't possess. The fact is, ultimately, we wear our kids' failure on our sleeves, and we feel guilty 95% of the time as parents. Like, where did I fail? Where did I go wrong? What, what did I not do that I should have been doing? You know, my children um, were raised in a pastor's home. They were deeply scrutinized hey, that's the pastor's kids. Why are they doing that? They shouldn't do that. That's pastor kids. So then it reflects back on me, right? Like, well, you're the pastor, and your children did what? They got in, what? So you can start feeling guilty, right? You start feeling guilty about the things your kid's doing or not doing and how people perceive them, and we're, we're not raising robots, right? We are shepherding image bearers and who have a freedom of choice, who have their own will, who have their own personalities, who have their own likes and dislikes, and none of us can be such good parents that God becomes obligated to save our children's soul on the more encouraging end, none of us can mess up so badly that our children somehow extend beyond the reach and the realm of God's mercy and grace. In fact, the Bible records instances of some of the most faithful servants of God, like Samuel and his son turned out horrible, right? But then there were faithless kings and horrible kings like that of Ahaz, who was a, you know, just kind of a heretic, but he had God-following sons like Hezekiah. My point is, here's what God says to guilt-ridden parents. This is what I wrote down. Even if you were a perfect and wise parent, always at your best, you have no guarantee that your children will always choose wisely. That's where the battle takes place, on your knees. And if you'll stay there for however long it takes, God can do some amazing things. But remember, he's working with an individual like you and I who has a free will. Number four, our children teach us to embrace God's joy. Nothing brought greater joy than when this in this father's heart than when his son returned. You know, we often have a two-prayer approach to our children: God protect them and God change them. You ever prayed those prayers? Lord protect them, watch over them, um, keep people from hurting them. You know, we can hurt ourselves with our own sins. People can hurt us from with their sins. And so we pray for God's protection over them. We pray that God would change them. We begin to see things in our children that are like, mm, you know, this is, this is not good. And as they get older and more independent from you as a parent, they reach into those teenage years and then things get really tumultuous. Um, you see things that there are weaknesses and you, you keep praying that God will change those. And, and that was my approach until God convicted me about that. And he says, you know, Greg, what you really need to add is a third prayer and is a prayer of thanksgiving. A prayer of thankfulness. And so one of the things I wrote in my journal was this. I said, God, thank you for the way that you're working in my daughter's lives. Thank you for how I see you sanctifying them. Thank you for the joy of living with my children. Thank you for the privilege of getting to spend my life with them. This is what this did for me. It gave me a new perspective. You see, if I'm constantly just praying for God's protection over them, then I'll live in fear all the time like something's going to happen and, and listen we have reason to fear in our day and time i get that there's just a lot of stuff going on out there that is that our children when i were when i was a child didn't have to we didn't have to worry about at least not to the degree we do today and i just know there's a lot of bad stuff that can happen i'm not saying don't pray for their protection but i'm saying i don't want you to focus on that and, and if you just merely pray, pray that god will change them here's what happens. You, you now are focusing on their weaknesses and you lose sight of their strengths. Focus on their strengths. Thank God for their strengths. Become aware of their strengths. You know, when our daughter was in her time of rebellion, you know, all I could focus on was what was wrong and what needed to change. And I tried to push as a dad and I tried to push and push and You know, my daughter was in college at the time, and the problem, uh, when you have a dad who is like 30, and he looks like he's 19, it doesn't go well for my daughter, right? I show up at the college to pick her up on the, you know, because the first year they can't have a car, and they yell, hey, Stacy, your boyfriend's here, you know, so she's just like embarrassment, it was like uh, immediate embarrassment. Uh, And so as things got worse and worse, and, and, and things got off the rail, um, I kept focusing, you know, on her weaknesses, and, and, and it just hit a climax, and I look, Marla says, I'm going after her, I'm, I'm, taking her out of co- I'm taking her out of college, she's got to leave there, um, and, but Marissa was in her senior year, and they weren't getting along, and Marlon and Stacy weren't getting along, and so, um, and so my mom said, send her to me. And so she lived with my mother for a year and attended the uh, branch at Ohio State Branch in Newark. And, um, and it was then that, that God really got a hold of our hearts about anchoring in on the passage, praying and getting on our knees. And one of the things that God impressed upon me is like, stop focusing on her weaknesses. Let's focus on her strengths. And she has some incredible strengths. And blessed be to God, you know, God got a hold of her and... and Radically changed your life. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was like a father to many churches that he started. And, you know, the church at Corinth, they were constantly in division with one another. And Galatians, they were leaving the gospel of grace for, for legalism. And the Philippians were having personal disputes all the time. And the Thessalonians, man, they, they had all grown um, extremely um, lazy. Here's what Paul says, and this is on your outline, but here's how Paul prayed for them, a prayer of thanksgiving. Here's what he said over the, um, the church at Corinth. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all your troubles. My joy knows no bounds. He said to the Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you In all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy to the Thessalonians. He says, indeed, you are glory and joy. What does Paul focus on? He start focusing on their strengths instead of just focusing on their weaknesses. I'm just encouraging you as a parent to do that. From the time they're little to the time they leave their, your home and even beyond, because they're going to be the bearers of your grandchildren, and oh, how I love grandchildren. Here's the last one. Our children teach us to let go of fear and how to develop courage. You know, when your children are little, you have all kinds of fears. When Stacy was first brought home, you know, we didn't have this, uh, you know, manual on how to raise her. Uh, All I ever heard about was SIDS, right? Sudden Infant Death Syndrome in the crib, and I was paranoid about that, and that was a driving fear, right? So that's why I'm I'm poking on her, making sure she's still breathing, or. Uh, so that was a, a fear, or you know, the effects of high fevers. And the first time your, your child gets a high fever, you're panicking as a parent, right? And you're trying to call the pediatrician, and it's the middle of the night. It never happens during the day, it's always the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, you can't get a hold of anybody, and you're freaking out as a parent. And hopefully, you know a nurse or somebody that you can call, and they can give you advice on what to do with this high fever. And then they become toddlers, and you worry about the things that they might swallow because they like to swallow things and put things up their nose and in their ears. And so you worry about all of that, and you want Worry about them wandering out in the street and then they get to elementary school and you start worrying about, um, you know, them being kidnapped or, or something horrible happening to them. And then they reach teenage years and then you're fearful. Well, what if they get in drugs and what if they get pregnant and what if this happens, what if that happens? And when they start dating, like uh, as a father with two daughters, when they start dating, <laughs> I took Charles Barkley's... Uh, philosophy on that. Somebody asked him, hey, when your daughters start dating, how are you going to handle the dudes that are coming to date them? Here's what he says. He says, well, I figure I'll just kill the first one and the word will get out. (laughs) And that'll that'll take care of it. You know, my my daughters love Snow White and the seven dwarfs. uh, And uh, I realized there was a problem model there uh, that my daughters were looking at, and so here's a woman who is hiding from her stepmother because she feels helpless and afraid, and she takes a job for a menial labor of seven short, cranky guys because they're they're afraid that she could, you know, never find more fulfilling work, and so she's sitting around passively waiting for uh, her prince to come and rescue her from this situation, and uh, I... I say to my daughters, don't ever do that. If you are ever in a situation, you, you confront your stepmother face to face. You tell her to come to grips with the aging process and that you have no intention of becoming the fall guy because she has neurotic insecurities about her fading sexual attractiveness. Tell her to find a good therapist and tell the short cranky guys to get a life right? If they can't handle basic challenges of personal hygiene and housekeeping, they will have to find some other codependent enabler to enable their domestic passivity and stop waiting for some prince to come rescue you. Build deep relationships, form meaningful work, serve the poor, serve the Lord. And when it's time for you to choose your prince, daddy will do that for you, okay? (laughs) Daddy will do that for you. I've said enough. It's time. Parenting. What is God doing through parenting? What is he doing through your children? He's molding. He's fashioning. He's forming you into the image of Jesus. He's teaching you how to build character and a life of service over comfort. He's teaching you how to persevere and and be patient and persistent. He's teaching you how to unload guilt this false guilt that you're carrying around with you, he wants you, he wants you to experience his joy, right? He wants you to experience the joy of raising kids. I know raising children is hard; it is difficult. There, there are moments when it's there's nothing greater, and there's moments when there's nothing harder. And there's no guarantee your child won't rebel, won't walk away from the faith, won't do any of these things or or, or experience things that you want to rescue them from. But rather than rescuing them, you sometimes have to watch them come to their own senses because until they come to their own senses, they'll just go right back and do the same thing over again. If you keep rescuing them, they'll just keep going right back and doing the same thing over again. Our children teach us how to let go of our fear and how to to develop courage. As a parent, you need courage. You need the kind of courage that kept Hagar from abandoning her child in the desert, the kind of courage that filled Joseph's heart as he was defied by Herod's edict To take the life of these small children. So God says take Jesus into Egypt. And so he did. You need the courage that it took um, men and women every day. To boldly step out and risk on behalf of God's kingdom. I applaud you as parents. I applaud you as grandparents. And it's my dream and my passion. That our church will become the place. Where we walk alongside of you. The best that we can. In helping you raise your children, but may it be known they are tools in the hands of God to form and to fashion your life in the image of Jesus, embrace it. Let God do his work because what God does in you, he does through you. And when he's doing it in you and through you, it can't help but impact the hearts and lives of your children and your grandchildren. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we adore you for parenting us. Oh, Lord, how patient you must be. You know our waywardness, you know our rebellious spirits from time to time, you, you've you heard us say no more times than a two-year-old toddler. But yet you just keep loving us, and you just keep walking with us, and you keep encouraging us, and You keep forming and fashioning us into the image of Jesus. So, Lord, we want to be that kind of parent. We want to be that kind of person, that kind of friend, that that kind of grandparent. So, Lord, I I thank you um, and pray, God, your divine blessing over every family here. Their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and for some, it's great-great-grandchildren. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. Thank you for Holy Spirit, for indwelling us and enabling us to do more than we could ever think or imagine because you empower us beyond our human limitations. So we pray that the fruit of the Spirit will be evidenced in us as we parent that our hearts would be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control with goodness that we might be as much of Jesus to our children and grandchildren as we possibly can be but I also pray Father that you will unload the burden of guilt and shame and self-condemnation off of every parent for mistakes that have been made or unwise decisions or what they just, the enemy's just pounding them. You're never enough. You're never enough. You're never enough. You never give enough time. You don't give enough love. You don't give enough. Lord, I I pray the Holy Spirit that you will just offload that backpack from every parent and grandparent and that we just embrace, oh God, our own human frailty. We know that we are a work in progress. And as our kids learned all week long, that work is never completed until we enter into heaven. And so Father, I pray that your divine peace and assurance will flood our hearts and our minds as we continue to, to parent and to be a grandparents and to pour our hearts and our lives into those precious gifts that you have given to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.